0: You may remember at the beginning of quarantine, I did some COVID commercials for small businesses. Well, I'm bringing it back, baby, because one of my personal favorite products has given us, meaning you, a discount code. Butter Effect currently has hair oil, a rose clay mask, and honey apricot body butter at their website, buttereffectpdx.com. And if you use the code murderintherain at checkout, you will get 20% off. This is an amazing deal because I use the body butter nearly every day and I have for months and I've barely made a dent in it. So you not only get your money's worth in ounces, you'll get it in the product. Butter Effects Body Butter has made my skin so soft and hydrated, but it's never left feeling greasy or slimy. On top of that, they are a Black-owned, Portland-based small business that has an awesome Instagram at Butter Effect PDX, where you'll not only see their products, but that they are more than happy to talk about mental health, systemic racism, you know, all those topics that we just love. So follow Butter Effect PDX on Insta, then go to buttereffectpdx.com to get yourself some top-notch self-care tools. I recommend one of everything, and use the code Rain at checkout for your 20% discount. We would love to see your purchases and your stories, so be sure to tag Murder in the Rain and Butter Effect PDX when you get your goodies.
1: I'm Emily Rowney. And I'm Alicia Holland. This is Bill Camp, the voice of Forensic Files 2 on HLN, and you're listening to Murder in the Rain.
0: May is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women's Awareness Month. As I talked about in my Tough Alaska Chick episode, attention is finally being brought to the epidemic of missing and murdered Indigenous women. While it is wonderful that attention is being brought to the plight of these women, this information is not new to the Native American community. Today I'll be telling the story of Barbara Jean Whitesell, a Troutdale Indigenous woman that was murdered in 1990. I'll share some MMIW stats and explore her groundbreaking case, one that used DNA to keep an innocent person out of jail and inspired her aunt to keep fighting for justice to this day. Troutdale, Oregon is located about 15 miles east of Portland. It's fairly small, only 16,000 residents today, but with Gresham, the second most populated city in Oregon, as a bordering neighbor and the Columbia River Gorge as another, it's a perfect blend of city and seclusion. It's a suburban oasis mixed with a Dairy Queen, Mount Hood Community College, and farmland. It isn't that much of a drive to the city, so stop saying you can't come hang out, friends. It's like a 20-minute drive. Hey, I drive it every week. Oh, that's right. Also, I am a lifelong Trout Delian, so I'm probably a little bit biased. Back in 1990, though, there was even more farmland, fewer houses, and a population just shy of 8,000. So while it was different, it was still a family-friendly, with neighborhoods, full of kids type of place. In 1990, I was seven years old and attending second grade at Sweetbriar Elementary. At the same time, 19-year-old Barbara Jean Whitesell was enjoying the life of a teenager. Barbara was a member of the Yakima Nation, a nation that at one point had land from central Washington to the Columbia River. Surrounded by the Yakima River and mountains, the Yakima people occupied the area since the beginnings of man. That was until the Treaty of 1855 a treaty that slashed their land from almost the size of Washington to just over a million acres. This should come as no surprise that the treaty not only stripped the indigenous people of their land, but it was full of caveats, like if they wanted to, the government could build roads through the reservation or the president could break it up and sell lots of the land. Usual cool white guy stuff. After the treaty was agreed upon, no, not agreed upon, after the treaty was forced upon the Yakima Nation, there was an agreement that the people that were being relocated would have two years to do so. This included people from the Cayuse, Umatilla, Walla Walla, Nez Perce, and Yakima tribes. Unsurprising, the governor of Washington at the time, Governor Isaac Stevens, decided he didn't want to wait the two years and instead started to allow white settlers to claim portions of the stolen land a mere 12 days after signing the treaty. Feeling they had been lied to because they had been lied to, it was decided by Yakima chief Kakiken that they should protest this decision. Before they could get their own troops together, the U.S. government started to commit raids against the tribe members, so the Yakima fought back. Much like my most recent episode with the Whitmans, a war broke out and for four years the Yakima War raged on, finally ending in 1859 in Coeur Idaho. So that was the history of Barbara's people, a violent and horribly mistreated background, a history that would echo many of those same sentiments over a hundred years later. Besides the fields and farms in East County, we also have rivers and creeks. The Columbia is part of Troutdale's border, but the fun river is the Sandy. It's our local beach river, if you will. When the weather finally gets nice, everyone heads to the river with a bag of snacks, speakers, drinks, blankets, and floats. It does get dangerous as there are deep spots and vicious currents that do lead to a few drownings every year. But overall, it's a great little summer hangout spot. And hanging out was exactly what Barbara was up to on July 12th, 1990. In her summertime uniform of a t-shirt and cut-off jean shorts, she had a picnic and went swimming at the Sandy River with a group of friends. As the gathering dwindled, Barbara stayed behind with a few remaining friends that were at a nearby campground. While Barbara had dropped out of school in the eighth grade, she had attended Canby grade school, where she had met and befriended Clifton Duane Dooley, who was two years older than her. He was even known by Barbara's parents as one of her school friends. While they had been friends as children, they fell out of touch through the years. That was until the summer of 89 when Barbara ran into Clifton at the Portland pizza shop he was working at. While there were rumors the two may have dated at some point, those closest to Barbara, like her fiancé, 21-year-old Mike Guthert, said that wasn't the case. He did say that Clifton had asked Barbara out that day at the pizza shop, but seeing as she was dating Mike at the time, she rejected his advances. So perhaps it was awkward when, while hanging out near the river with friends on that hot July day, Barbara spotted Clifton and his friend, 19-year-old Marcus William Blaylock, exiting the Sandy River. They struck up a conversation, and chatting away, there must not have been any kind of hard feelings from Barbara rejecting Clifton, as the three of them made plans to meet up later in the evening. It's unknown what that plan was, but the two guys lived in the neighboring city of Gresham and had recently become roommates. The day came to an end, and the gang packed up from the campground and river and went their separate ways. The next day, Friday, Barbara's family was slightly concerned. She still lived at home and hadn't returned after going out that Thursday night— But her family didn't call the police. Seeing as she had plenty of friends and a fiancé, it wasn't unusual for her to be out of the house for a few days, and at this time, this was only the next morning, so maybe she had partied too hard or just stayed at a friend's house. Then, the nightly news came on to announce that the body of an unidentified female had been found. The Grace Brethlin Church in Troutdale still exists today. It is in a bit of an odd location, so let me describe it to you. Like most major cities, there are main streets that can take you across town. Stark Street is one of those in Portland. I could leave my house, go get on Stark, head west, and end up in downtown Portland. It would take a while, and I know I would hit every single light, but it is actually possible. If you were going the other way, east on Stark from downtown, you would go through East Portland, Rockwood, Gresham, and eventually end up in Troutdale. Stark continues for a few more miles before meeting its end at the crossing at the Sandy River. For even more reference, the Willamette River downtown is kind of like our zero block, so as you head east, the numbers go up. Troutdale starts around 257th on Stark. As you pass the last real residential areas on Stark, like the Sweetbriar and Sandy Palisades neighborhoods, for those of you that are very local, it starts to curve. On that curve at 274th and Stark was the Grace Brethren Church. Its name has since changed, but the church stands. It was in the backfield area of that church that two young boys, aged only 13 and 8, were walking on the trail behind the church. Then, at 7.30 p.m. on Friday the 14th, they came across the body of a dead woman. Police didn't know at first who they had found. What they did know was that the body was that of a young female. She was nearly nude and face down in the wooded area. She had been gagged and strangled with material that had been wrapped around her neck. She was also raped and sodomized. It was deduced that the strangulation came as a cover-up or perhaps a response to the victim's fierce fight against the sexual attack. The medical examiner determined her cause of death was asphyxiation, with the murder occurring between midnight and 3 a.m. that Thursday night into Friday morning. Patrick Whitesell, Barbara's brother, had heard the news about the discovery Friday night. Be it from his instinct or just reaching out to people out of concern and none of Barbara's friends having seen her, he reached out to authorities around 2 a.m. Saturday morning. This was a mere seven hours after the body had been discovered. Patrick informed the police that his sister was missing of sorts and gave information about her whereabouts from when he had last seen her on Thursday afternoon. As Patrick spoke with authorities, Barbara's family started to organize a search of the river and surrounding areas. It was during the family's search that they came across a gathering of police at the church. The police informed them the body of a young woman had been found. Ominously, the police inquired about what clothing Barbara had been wearing when she was last seen. The family shared what they remembered, but it wasn't her clothing that helped identify the body. It was her jewelry. With a description of the ring she was wearing, police were able to confirm the Whitesell's family's worst fears. The body was that of 19-year-old Barbara Jean Whitesell. It didn't take the police long to find the people Barbara had been hanging out with at the river and for them to share information, including the fact that she had a lengthy conversation with Clifton Dooley and Marcus Blaylock. That same night, Clifton Dooley was picked up and arrested, Marcus following suit Sunday morning. They were charged with six counts of aggravated murder, sexual assault, and sodomy. When it came to childhood friend Clifton being arrested, Barbara's dad Clayton said, We just can't believe it. We knew the man real well. They went to Corbett grade school together. It was hard for others to believe, too, but when Detective Hadley, the chief investigator on the case, did his interviews, it soon became clear to him that there wasn't a clear picture when it came to Clifton and Barbara's relationship. Some people said they were never together, some saying they had in fact dated. This, of course, led to Clifton being the number one suspect and his arrest. Helping to make their case even easier was Clifton's jacket, which had mysterious spots of what appeared... To be blood on it. With both men arrested, the White Cell family got to have what so many other Indigenous families don't a sense of peace. Unlike the thousands of other families that have a loved one missing, they did know where Barbara was. They knew who had killed her. They didn't have to wonder where she was or what had happened. Although none of that could take away the insurmountable grief they were all experiencing. As you know, dear listeners, we try to talk to family members of victims whenever we can. Those conversations can give us a better idea of what the victim was really like and also helps us verify information. For this case, I reached out to Barbara's surviving aunt, Anita, and we had some lovely conversations online, but understandably, talking with us, even after all these years, was just too much for her to do. While we didn't speak in person, she did give me some information about Barbara from herself and other family members. I'd like to share that with you so we can keep Barbara's memory alive and remember that those numbers we hear in MMIW reports aren't just statistics. They aren't just numbers. They're sisters, mothers, nieces, and friends. One family member spoke of Barbara from when she was doing something she loved, looking out for her family. Saying she always wanted what was best for them. She was scared of drugs and alcohol and hoped that her friends and family that were maybe drinking or doing drugs could find other things to do besides party. She had no problem calling out those other family members and friends when they were drinking, partying, smoking, and in general, just being dumb. A different family member shared a very relatable and adorable story. Once while hanging out, Barbara and friends started to laugh about something. They got so giggly that the elder mother in the group laughed her teeth out, causing them to land on Barbara's lap and for her to yell out. This, of course, did not help to subside the laughter. And then there's Anita, Barbara's aunt and someone that worked hard to get Barbara's name recognized on the MMIW list. Here's what Anita had to say about her niece. I rode the bus with her and always loved her. I always remember how close she was to her brothers, Patrick and Sonny. She was originally in my class and then ended up in a different class to be with her brother. So we only had an hour a day every day on the bus. She was a tough girl that I always thought could handle anything that came to her. But she was a mini power because she was so little. I had a lot of respect for her. She liked to laugh. She was a tomboy in the summer and lived in cut-off 501 shorts, black t-shirts, and high-top sneakers. She was funny, liked to laugh, partied but not excessively, fiercely loyal to her little sister. She played softball. She had a natural athletic ability, her and her sister, and they had similar looks. Her sister's baby couldn't even tell them apart. They were both beautiful, petite, young women. Barbara had an independent spirit. She was so tiny. Such an asshole to terrorize her like that. I am sure she fought back. Just like Barbara's fight to live, Anita has continued to fight for her memory. She was invited to a march where she was able to get Barbara's name officially added to the MMIW list of victims, making sure her loss was acknowledged. And it isn't just a number, but a helpful statistic that can bring attention and support to the missing and murdered indigenous women. The loss of Barbara ended up dictating Anita's life in an unexpected way. She became fascinated by the technology that was used to solve Barbara's case, the now outdated polymerase chain reaction. So much so, she actually went on to study microbiology and anthropology. While she humbly implies that she isn't as involved as others in the MMIW awareness and work, she is doing what she can. She's fighting to keep Barbara's memory alive, educating herself on the science behind the conviction, and even though it is painful and invasive, talking to people like me so that we can have a better idea of who Barbara Whitesell was and why every story matters, even 31 years later. Thank you so much to Anita and all of Barbara's family members that shared their memories of Barbara with us. While Clifton and Marcus waited to learn their fate after pleading not guilty at their preliminary hearing, this wasn't an open-and-shut case. In 1990, DNA was not the murder trial mainstay as we have come to know it. In fact, the first case in the United States to use DNA was in Florida in 1987, just three years before Barbara's death. In 1990, no case with DNA had gone to trial in Oregon. They had used hair matching and blood type matching, of course, but not DNA. Eventually, the blood from Clifton's jacket and semen from the crime scene were sent to Quantico, the FBI headquarters, for testing. In the meantime, the young men waited. Then came July 30th, a year after Barbara's death. Receiving the test results from Clifton's jackets and the fluids, the judge in the case made a shocking announcement. At the request of the district attorney, he was dropping the charges against Clifton. That blood on the jacket? It was his own. Whoa. Plot twist.
1: I didn't expect that.
0: Right? They had met it at all the
1: yeah, all formula. The yeah.
0: Yeah. Out the- she said hi to him at a pizza place like, oh, he kills her. That's what's <laughs> happening.
1: I mean that's that's what we're accustomed to. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Luckily, because the state knew from the beginning their case was weak, they allowed Dooley out on a thousand dollars bail so he wouldn't lose a year of his life behind bars for a murder that he, as it turned out, did not commit. The prosecution was commended by Clifton's defense attorney for making the right call, saying some prosecutors would have felt it was the jury's job to do it, meaning leave the decision of guilt or innocence to the jury, not let the evidence prove otherwise. So if Clifton wasn't guilty of Barbara's murder, who was? With the physical evidence presented to him, Marcus Blaylock, Clifton's roommate and friend, took a plea deal. Admitting guilt to one count of aggravated murder, the rape and sodomy charges were dropped. On October 17th of 1991, Marcus started serving his life sentence at the Snake River Institution. While it wasn't known what exactly took place that horrible night, the authorities felt there was no connection to Dooley and Barbara's murder. He wasn't even charged as an accomplice. Perhaps Marcus was the only one to meet up with Barbara, and they went on a walk just to talk and hang out. Then, getting into the wooded area, Marcus took the opportunity to attack Barbara, intending to sexually assault her. Then, her putting up a fight, he reacted. Or, fearing he would get caught if she told authorities about him raping her, he gagged and strangled her, leaving her body to be discovered by children, all of it shocking and horrible. Sadly, like so many other indigenous families, the white cells have carried generations of trauma, from the Yakima War to the building of the Dalles Dam, the site of another family member's mysterious death. (music) ¶¶ For 11,000 years, until 1957, there was an area home to prolific fishing for the indigenous people of the Columbia River, known as Celio Falls. It was a hub for fishing, trading, and meeting up with other people from as far away as British Columbia. With 40-foot-tall falls, Celio was a majestic and important place that was home to around 10,000 people that relied on the falls for food, trade, and as a place of spirituality. Well, of course, you know what happened next. I'll give you a hint. It involves white colonizers. Wah, wah. Now, with the Treaty of 1855, the reservation the Yakima people were restricted to did include exclusive access to the falls. They even won a court case when non-natives attempted to use fishing wheels in the area. But by the 1950s, the falls were making the river impossible to traverse, and there was a desire to use the water to create energy. Enter the Dalles Dam, and on March 10, 1957, the dam was completed, and within five hours of it operating, the entire area of Celio Falls was flooded and gone. As Joe J. Pinkham told the Yakima Herald Republic in 2007 at the 50th anniversary of the death of the People's Falls, he said, The roar of the falls left us just like that, and he never fished in the area again. Oh, but don't be too sad. The people that were forced to live in the area were compensated in what would be about 30,000 bucks in today's dollar, which is nothing to live on. Some Yakima and other locals stayed but were placed in substandard housing and now had a highway and railroad between them and their beloved and life-sustaining river. To celebrate the 50th anniversary, the government was nice enough to renovate the housing village that the locals were placed in. So that's almost something. It was at Celio Falls around the 1940s that Barbara Whitesell's grandmother's half-sister was murdered by being pushed off a bridge, plunging to her death in the Columbia River. Sadly, that is all that is known about her. Family and friends were Barbara Whitesell's priorities, on October 24, 1990, the day of her 20th birthday, and just three months after her death, she and her fiancé, Mike, were to be married. She had hopes, dreams. She was a bright, loving person. And legal adult or not, she was only a teenager. And all of those big plans for the future were extinguished because someone saw her as a vulnerable target. This is only one of the 133 annual or three weekly Missing or Murdered Indigenous Women. There are thousands of stories to tell, many of which still haven't been solved. This year, Oregon released their first MMIW report. It found that 84.3% of Native American women and 81.6% of Native men experienced any violence in their lifetime, compared to 71% of non-Hispanic white people and 64% of men. This leads some people to ask, Why is violence so disproportionate when it comes to indigenous people, especially women? I'm no expert, but I mean, if you just backtrack through time a bit and you see how colonizers treated them from the beginning, it's no wonder that there's an inherent bias ingrained in our, especially those of us that are white, brains. For hundreds of years, Indigenous people were seen and treated as in the way, or less than. When it came to cartoons, TV shows, and movies, the portrayal was no different. Compound that with the living situations they were forced into on reservations, and it's no wonder there are mental health and substance abuse issues within the Indigenous communities. Mix that in with entitled police and white folks, and you've got a recipe for the genocide we are all witnessing. So, what can you do to help? I've put together a few action steps, but there are no wrong answers. You can Google MMIW and put in your state to find organizations in your area. Search the hashtag on social media and follow people that provide information and even more actions that you can take. And talk about it. There are thousands of victims, all of which deserve to have their story told.
1: So when you were talking about Barbara, she went to school with Dooley. Yes. Marcus, was he also? No. There? So
0: he was the same age as Barbara, but he was just a friend. Okay, of so Cl- do of we Cl- know
1: how long he knew Barbara? Was it just that one meeting that Dooley introduced them?
0: There's minimal information on this because it's so long and closed. But everything I read implied that they met that day. She only met him because he was hanging out with her friend.
1: That's so sad. I, I mean, yeah. I was thinking about how how that could have happened, and I'm guessing maybe they did decide to meet up later or something. Yeah. But wow, that's so devastating. I wonder how Dooley feels about that, having introduced someone in his life to that would be hard to carry. Yeah, like not a
0: survivor's guilt, but a guilt of and then some sort.
1: Then the risk of it could have been him in jail. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> Real
0: close. Real
1: close. You were the last person to be seen with her. Marcus
0: is spending a life sentence, no chance of anything. And if they hadn't bothered testing things, Mm -hmm. if if the DA hadn't actually made the right call and say, we don't have anything to go on here. His life
1: could have been ruined. Yeah,
0: because, like, you get those DAs that they dig their heels in and be like, no, these two guys, it's right there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And try them together. Yeah. And, like, force them to be tried together and... There's enough evidence there that
1: it's like, oh yeah, it's well, gotta when we be. We see so many cases where the evidence was flimsy and someone mm-hmm. went to jail.
0: So that is something really commendable that they were like, we don't, ha- it's not here. He didn't do it. We're not gonna. They could have put this kid away.
1: Yeah, from- it's it's nice to see the other side of these mm-hmm. stories we tell. Sometimes uh, it doesn't go like that. Yeah,
0: yeah. But so, any, <laughs> I wanted to tell you this. I had brought this story up to a mutual friend of ours that also grew up out in Troutdale. Mm-hmm. And I kind of started telling him about it, and he said, "You mean Murder Church?" Because oh, it he, has a nickname. Now. He actually lived. Yeah, he lived right over over there. in the Sandy Palace, the place I had mentioned. And I said, "What do you talk? Tell me what you know." Because I was shocked. I had never heard of this. Right. I mean, my elementary school was literally literally around the corner, and I know I was really little, so I shouldn't have heard People about would have been it. killing you from that. But you would have thought that. People would have still talked about it or something, mm. you know, carried it through time. And uh, he said, yeah, Murder Church. And he said there were always rumors like you don't go play over there because there is a woman found on the grass. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. that just literally, you know, a different neighborhood. And he had heard about it and everyone. Oh, yeah, you don't go over there. Um, so. It well was and like, the
1: like one kid heard it from a parent and then yeah. they're all playing outside and telling each other. Yeah,
0: and then when I told him I and I was explaining I said it was an, this young indigenous woman, teenager, and he's like, It was real? You know, so well, he thought it was a rumor. So it's like, how do, doesn't that suck that this That's place, the legacy? Yeah, too. that's the legacy. Exactly. Well put, where it's not, Oh yeah, it was horrible. This young woman was killed over here and so We've done something about it or there's a memorial or anything. Mm. Instead, it's that's the murder church. Yeah. You know, so I'm it's glad scary. to inform especially uh, the people in East County that that actually happened. It and- is
1: interesting because it's so funny that you covered a Troutdale case today and talked about the population because as I was driving here yesterday,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I saw the population sign. and go, oh, that's much smaller than I thought. That's that's because
0: Troutdale got new population signs. That's why it caught your eye.
1: Well, good job, (laughs) Troutdale. I commend you. It did grab my eye. Uh, But no, I I thought, oh, yeah, it's funny how it is such a small town, but really right up next to Mm -hmm. a huge city Mm -hmm. that you can get lost in. And uh, you described it very well, I thought. But it, it is scary to think that these types of things do happen in these little quaint towns. Yeah.
0: And it's not like, I mean... Yeah, 16,000, that's a chunk of people, but it's not so huge that you wouldn't know. And I, again, I'm just getting started. I still got oh yeah. a story on Mount Hood's mm-hmm. not Mount Hood to do. I've got
1: you have requests for all over the yeah, place. Yeah, so cover. um I I'll be driving by there today, the the former falls. I think about it every time, it's so depressing. That area is so depressing. I literally learned about it recently i mean not this recently but oh. way too recently for someone that lives out here oh yeah chloe actually they cover it in grade school here now. oh do they and they had a tribes member come oh, and cool. talk to her class and they they built like a, a reen what is the word i'm looking not like a, a model re- yeah like a model of the area she talked about fishing and oh that's that awesome. she taught them some of their songs and stories and it was chloe's highlight of grade school that is so cool yeah it was really neat. That's also cool to hear
0: that that's the conversation because like we've talked about this so many times. So it's like, you know what I learned
1: that this used to be they're getting better. Yeah, I, I have to I and I don't know if it's the school district I'm in, but they genuinely care about keeping these cultures alive. Right. So I think it's really cool to bring someone from the tribe in to tell their story to the, all these white children mm-hmm. to be like, here's why it's important that we protect our our areas and our culture and we Mm -hmm. tell these stories to people and it's not appropriation we're not teaching you the song so you can go rip it off and use it as your own it's like i'm keeping this alive right that's really cool it is really
0: nice that's awesome it's like the actual history Mm -hmm. what people should actually know
1: and i have to say when i was a kid i i mean i didn't retain a lot of that because we didn't have someone come into our class and talk about those things which i think i would have retained more of it yeah
0: well we were talking the other day because oh (laughs) there was a Simpsons episode where they do the tall tales mm-hmm. and I was just kind of laughing I'm like I can still sing like Johnny Appleseed mm-hmm. he was quite a guy those are the things the, you remember yeah and it's like why do I know more about tall tales made up history than I do about like the Funny. actual people that lived here and had things I happen I know it's, it's
1: terribly sad yeah and then the things we do know are usually wrong right or embellished or whitewashed yeah. right yeah <laughs> Okay, so
0: a quick note that is totally off topic from the story. I just want to take a quick moment to discuss verbiage, mine specifically or ours, uh, what we use, why we use it, and maybe you'll learn something new like I did. We really try our best to stay on top of all the correct terms for everything. And
1: pronunciation. And pronunciation. I'll get to slip mine into We too. Really,
0: that's what somebody said. <laughs> um, yeah, and while I'm not the most hip, Emily definitely is because she's on that TikTok. So she knows (laughs) more things than I I do. (laughs)
1: Um,
0: So, you know, none of that is any kind of excuse or anything, just more so an explanation. And I bring this up because I think something was in the air last week because we actually got multiple messages about our language, which... I really appreciate, like we said, you know, we can't interact with reviews, so we really do like getting these messages where we can converse with people and learn
1: things. And and, correct something. If we were uneducated about it, that gives us a chance to correct it the next time we do it. Yeah,
0: and if something's really bad, I mean, we have a home studio. Yeah, we can re-record a word. (laughs) So we do, you know, obviously we're not going to fix everything yeah, so never
1: hesitate to reach out if you are more educated on a topic and yes. you want to share your perspective with us we would love that yes don't feel like you can't do that perfect that's
0: a really you're that's very welcoming of you oh i like that i try to do that once in a <laughs> while so one of the messages was referencing the word rape um saying that we should always be using that because if we say something like sexual assault or anything else it implies we're we're showing consent or that it's on the victim or anything i hope we're clear when we say sexual assault
1: because that's
0: what that is you know it's assault
1: it can yeah it encompasses so many things i think it's i think i said this to you the other day sometimes words like that are more of your own perspective yeah
0: it doesn't mean they're wrong well and you made a good point too about like sometimes the word the term is sexual assault because you right. documents it, it might not say. be
1: rape. Right. So sometimes we will be reading court documents and we are literally repeating the verbiage that was used. Yeah. So there are a lot of reasons we might do that. However, there were a couple of episodes where it was very rape heavy. We were saying yeah. a lot of rape. And so I was telling Alicia, I might use different words so it's not so repetitive and and that is my fault when i do that well and i don't think so and i see it a lot online which
0: um you know where words you know we have captions now on almost Mm. every video which is amazing and inclusive and often that word is kind of asterisk or written differently and i know Mm. you you were saying that it helps you keep your video up on tiktok but it also like i think people do that so you don't have to see it it's kind of like the c word almost for me it's kind of the c word where it's like it's just a very harsh word sure so it's like for me. I don't want to say it every time. And so I hope that our storytelling I, at least. I get it that. and
1: I will be better about it. Um, but I, I, on TikTok, I do say it less, and there is a reason. They don't allow certain words, right. and if you, they catch you with those words, they remove your video, and you either have to re-record it or you lose it. Maybe you downloaded it, so I often misspell the word "rape" yeah. with an with a at sign mm-hmm. on purpose because they're going to pick up the transcript and take it down. Yeah. Um. And I've had this conversation very recently. It was so funny that you brought it up because I was just interacting with a commenter. Why did you say sexual assault? And I mm. said, Well, this video is a really heavy, disgusting topic. And I was worried if I said rape, they would take it down. And that's plain and simple. That's what it is. Now, on our show, we can say whatever, whatever we want. want. And personally, uh, I try to say rape when it means rape. But uh, the Clifford Olsen yeah double episode, yeah. everything was rape and sodomy. Rape, yeah. sodomy, rape, sodomy. And so I was trying to make it a little easier on the ears. And so I apologize if anyone felt like that was downplayed, because that is never right. the intention. The reason we do this right. <laughs> is we want to talk about <laughs> these things and make it okay, first of all, to talk about it, you know, whether it happened yeah. to you or someone you know, but to keep these stories out there and alive. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, The other message really kind of broke my heart, because we had mentioned on the anniversary show that the numbers were low for the Transgender Day of Remembrance. And we were kind of for me, it was kind of like, hey, listeners, we don't, we know you don't want a very special episode. But, you know, then we got this really nice message from a listener. And they informed me that the verbiage I was using was wrong. And I know how old I am being like, I don't know what words to say. So basically, I learned, and this might be new to you, listener. So that's, that's really why I wanted to share this, because I learned something new that's important. So the term is not transgendered. But transgender. So I hope I'm enunci- enunciating well enough that it's not transgendered, but transgender. I think,
1: I think the short of it is you're putting the person first, right? I think so.
0: So basically, it's like by having the ED, it's like saying, oh, Emily, you were female." Not you are a female and
1: and I and this it sucks because of timing like I know you recorded that without me because we were it was a time crunch and I had known that because I read a couple of articles so I we would have had that conversation in totally but from my knowledge it isn't widely wrong when I brought this up and you said that I'm like what. (laughs) Yeah, and I didn't want, and you had already recorded, and I didn't want to make you record oh, no, it. No, no, no. And so I did a, actually, I listened to it for editing before oh, it went up. Uh-huh. And I did a quick Google search, and I'm like, well, it's not widely
0: criticized. Right.
1: So here's the thing we're all learning together. So totally. it's great that this person reached out mm-hmm. and said something because, yeah, of course we want to stay on top of language. Yeah, and,
0: and people, don't want to be offensive. You know, you, you guys know us, we're always like, We don't want to
1: hurt feelings. Yeah. (laughs) uh, We don't want to be, what is it, snowflakes about it. But these are important topics for us. So we want you to feel heard. And And, and again,
0: that's why I wanted to share, one, to apologize for using any inappropriate or offensive language and also to educate other people. Because if I was listening, be like, oh, I had no idea. And now I know. On a personal note, I just wanted to apologize for myself if I used any inaccurate terms that were offensive because I've since learned and I will obviously be not using that term. But additionally, I was just so devastated because I was actually told that this person turned off the episode within just a couple minutes. And that wasn't sad because like, oh, no, you didn't listen through and give us a download or whatever. I don't care about that. But it's like the reason, you know, you were saying that's why we do the show. The reason we do the show is kind of a self-imposed responsibility of we are trying to give voices to the voiceless. And in my mistake of not knowing a term, those important things like cases that aren't solved, people that still need information, stories that need to be shared so that families can get closure, they didn't get heard. And I don't know how many people turned it off. Because they were upset about that word, you know, so it just sucks to be like, I'm I'm personally deciding to try to bring voices to people that don't have it. And then their voices didn't get heard because my voice screwed up. And that's what sucks. Uh, so
1: and here's the thing. This happens on any number of topics or any number. Of it's reasons. true. For instance, I got beat up by a message because I said a last name incorrectly. And at the time, it was not a widely spoken name in the media. Oh, right. I no reference other than looking up a pronunciation based on um, a country it descended oh, from right? right so and then they call me out and now it's everywhere and I'm like well yeah I did right. say it kind of crazy so <laughs> I mean things happen yeah and you can't take it personally and- oh
0: yeah no it's not a personal thing it's just like damn you know it's just yeah. like oh I that I, I'm not like I'm not beating myself up because now I've learned and I can sure. like do better but it's just like oh that sucks yeah that I like I screwed up then again they were not people. necessarily
1: your target audience to learn about that stuff right that's true they already are very well educated that's about true. it so there keep that go. in mind as well that's true
0: anywho um, that's all I've got for that so thanks for I always like having conversations that are kind of off topic because it's life and it's how we deal and with... this is us in a nutshell Sorry.
1: although we curse far more
0: <laughs> this is professional us <laughs> thank you <laughs> to study microbiology and anthropo- anthropology <laughs> pdx.com to get yourself some touch.
1: Damn it.
0: You know, Age is
1: nothing but a number. I know that. Stay of mind, baby. At the, same, at the same time, I will meet someone my age. Sometimes I'm like, you're vastly older than oh me. Oh, like my God. Look older. Yes. You act older. And then I'm like, wait, am I just delusional? <laughs> oh, my God. I do that, too, where I'm like, am I inappropriate? Should I? old
0: myself? <laughs> should I dress differently? Like, but... should I
1: just wear the outfit I wore yesterday every day? <laughs> is that like... how I have to be now? Back in... <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that?
0: I partied too hard last night. <laughs> Murder in the Rain is produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Written and hosted by Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Artwork by Jamie Costa. Music by Kai Pfeiffer at k-y-f-i-f-e-r dot com.